You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Well, how was everyone's Easter morning? Yeah? My excitement at um, preaching again, I, I wrote a two-hour sermon. Um, don't worry, I've cut it into two or three. <laughs> figured no one wanted a two-hour sermon on Easter Sunday. Did I figure right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this is really just the introduction to next week's sermon. That's what this is. Oh, dear. Anyway, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, just as we gather here this afternoon on Resurrection Sunday, um, yeah, we just pray that you would uh, impart revelation to us impart a newness of life to us. We just pray that you would uh, touch our hearts, touch our minds, that you would uh, shape and transform us. And so we are open to what you have to say for us today. And so Lord, just bring life to the words I share. May they be uh, true, may they be relevant, uh, may they be filled with your living power. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, According to the world's largest survey on rest, over two-thirds, 68% of the public, would like more rest. Is that you? (laughs) Do you want more rest? I I think I'm a yes to that one (laughs) most days. The study asked, what causes you to rest? And the top answers that people gave were reading, being in nature, being on your own, listening to music or doing nothing in particular. And it would seem that they somehow managed to only survey introverts based on that list, wouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, Do you like to rest on long weekends? What about Easter? For for some people, I think Easter is one of the the few moments that, that we get to rest. Perhaps you find it difficult to rest. Are you one of those people? Uh, Do you only rest when you're sick? Or when you're injured or absolutely exhausted? I think the odd paradox for us is that most of us love to rest, um, but it's, it's often the last thing we make time for somehow, isn't it? Don't you think that's strange? It's the first thing that seems to go out the window Uh, when we're busy. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I think the need we have for rest is seen uh, by how restless and tired and unwell so many people in our world are. And I think it's both a physical tiredness but also a a deep soul-level restlessness that infects our world. Not a new problem, though, is it? I mean, I I think we think that restlessness and busyness is just like a modern life 2023 problem. Let me quote to you from a a book called Quest for Serenity. And uh, what the author says is, is that the historian tells us that there was a remarkable modernness about the world in which Jesus lived. It was a world modern in social habit. 
people travelled for pleasure or business or education um, using uh, excellently constructed highways. It was modern in the conduct of business. There was a highly developed banking system with letters of credit and bills of exchange provided. There were strangely up-to-date amenities. Postal services were common and the Romans had something akin to our daily newspaper. A hot air system was in use in the first century BC. Dentistry was practiced. Teeth were actually filled with gold. And vice was the same. There were dishonorable, get-rich-quick schemes. Gambling was rife. Luxury and extravagance were rife, even to the extent of feasting on the brains of peacocks and the tongues of nightingales. It'd be weird, but... And more especially was the ancient world modern in its essential spirit. It was a deeply disturbed world. Restlessness had invaded it, just as it has ours. Would you agree that that snapshot of, of the ancient world just feels so busy and familiar to us? And uh, the author points out that there was a restlessness then, just as uh, there, there's a restlessness today. And so restlessness is not a new problem. But what's particularly interesting about that quote that I, I just read to you is that it actually comes from a book by George Morling, and it was published in 1951. So he was writing about the modern world of restlessness in 1951, 70 plus years ago. Restlessness truly is not a 2023 problem. It, it really is part of our fallen human world. And so, of course, in the limitations of this broken, uh, fallen world, rest doesn't come easily or naturally to us. And, and, of course, that's because we've stepped outside of God's rest. Our world has been corrupted by this enslaving restlessness that has just permeated it. And this is why we find it so hard to rest. Everything in this world seems set against it. When I asked you before what causes you to rest, did anyone think Jesus? Jesus is how I rest? Because Easter is actually your invitation to rest, to real rest, to a, a rest that is, is rock solid. Not because it's a, a long weekend. I mean, that's just a temporary rest, isn't it? A long weekend is limited and it's actually quite conditional. Not everyone gets to rest on a, on a long weekend. Um, but it's our invitation to rest because Jesus has made a way for us to enter God's rest. And this is the real rest that you've been made for. And it's the real rest that you've been craving. When that rock was rolled away that first Easter morning over 2,000 years ago, we gained access to that rest that we were made for, that our bodies crave and that our souls crave too. You know, we, I think, crave rest, but we resist it too. In the beginning, when God made the world, he made people on the sixth day, right? And the creation of people was like the climax. It was the high point of creation, wasn't it? Like everything in creation, on all those days of creation were leading up 
to the creation of people. And then after God made men and women, what did he do on the very next day? He rested. And so there's this rhythm woven into the very essence of creation. Six days of work, one day of rest on the seventh to enjoy that work. And so the, the first full day of life for Adam and Eve, was it a day of work or a day of rest? It was a day of rest, wasn't it? I think, I think that says something to us about God's uh, design and God's priorities for us. This is how human beings were, were made. Rest is part of God's gift to us. And note, all of this is before the fall. It's before sin, it's before disobedience corrupts and breaks our world. So, so rest isn't just something we, we need because of our fallen state. It's not just a consolation to our fallen state. I think sometimes our um, you know, Protestant work ethic seems to think that somehow rest is a sin. We feel guilty and edgy when we're not working, doing, achieving. And what I think that is, is, is a guilt. Uh, it's a sign of guilt that um, the fallen world has stolen rest from us. The enemy has stolen and broken our rest and replaced it with restlessness. Rest is a, is a part of what you were designed to enjoy with God. And there is something in us, and, and maybe it's hidden pretty deep in us, but I think there's something in us that knows that, that wants that. But, but, but somehow we instead go after a slightly wonky or corrupted version of rest. And, and, and that slightly wonky version of rest that we go after, it, it really doesn't meet our needs. It really doesn't satisfy us. And so I believe that we've lost the ability to rest well. And of course, I'd be tempted to declare that this is a modern problem made increasingly worse by the smartphone technology, but if, as we've seen, it's as, it's as old as the Garden of Eden, isn't it? You know, my um, corrupted version of rest is to scroll Instagram for funny Christian memes. <laughs> I tell you what, there's no end to what Instagram will feed me in that department. I could sit there indefinitely scrolling, having a laugh. But I, I don't feel particularly refreshed or rested afterwards. Um, in fact, I often feel more tired. Do you have a wonky way that you rest? Or perhaps you just offer, opt for the don't stop, don't rest strategy, which I, I think is what many people in our world opt for. Let me read you another quote from, from the book Quest for Serenity. He says, Into that restless world came one who, knowing its unspeakable need, dared to call himself the rest giver. One day in Galilee, it may have been as the evening shadows were falling and people turned homewards after their heavy toll, our Lord Jesus stood looking into the wistful faces that bore manifest marks of weariness. With the inside of love, Jesus knew the tiredness was not merely physical, 
but it was much more a total life exhaustion. Stirred to pity, that love of people uttered the most gracious words that have ever fallen on the hungry heart of humanity. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, he cried, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the authority on rest because he's the source of rest. He offers us rest that, that truly is rock solid. It's, it's genuine and it's forever. And, and today, I, I want to invite you this Resurrection Sunday to step into that forever rest and, and to live out of that great rest that he gives us. Question is, how did, how did Jesus win that rest back for us? Well, of course, Jesus was sent by God and he was no ordinary person, was he? As son of God, as, as, as God in human flesh, he, he worked for three years, healing, teaching crowds, telling them about God, teaching his disciples, showing them what the kingdom of God looked like. He, he fed hungry people, he forgave sinners, he highlighted hypocrisy amongst leaders. He cast demons out of people. So much work. So much work. And then one week, over 2,000 years ago, on the sixth day of the week, a Friday, all of his work came to a climatic end. It was all leading to that day. The day Jesus, Lord and Messiah, was put to death on a Roman cross, and what did he say as he hung on that cross? It is finished. The work was complete. It was finished. And he died and he was put in the tomb. And then what happened? Nothing. Let me read here from, this is a quote from uh, a group called The Spoken Gospel, and it's a devotional they put out over Easter. They say this, We know relatively little about what happened during the day Jesus was buried in his tomb. We know that it was a Sabbath day, a day of rest for faithful Jews. And we know that the religious leaders were afraid. Jesus had claimed that he would rise from the dead on the third day. They were worried that Jesus' disciples might try to steal his body and pretend he rose from the dead, making their problems worse. So they asked the Roman governor to post guards at Jesus' tomb to prevent any false resurrections. Not much else is known about what happened that particular Saturday. And that might be part of the day's significance. Jesus is dead because nothing is supposed to happen. There are no more miracles to be done, no more Jewish laws to fulfill, no more sin to atone for, and no more powers to fight. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Everything Jesus came to do, he did. And so with nothing left to accomplish, and like all other good Jews, Jesus rested. At the very least, this means we can rest too. If Jesus rested knowing there was nothing left to do in order to save his people, we can rest knowing that Jesus has done everything to make us his people. Do you know that? 
Is that true? He has done everything needed to make sure that you can be his people. (laughs) We're his people. And that's good news. When Jesus says, it is finished, he speaks the truth. And so the message of Easter is that you can live in rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This offer that Jesus makes, it's an an offer of a a person, not a place. We often think that rest is found in places or things, don't we? Holidays, homes, natural habitats. And of course, temporary rest can be found in those those places. And and I encourage you, enjoy your holidays, enjoy your homes and and enjoy being out in nature. But, But they don't cure our restlessness. Because we, we, we bring the inner restlessness that we have into each of those spaces and, and we're, we're left craving for more rest. At Christmas time, our family went on holidays at Batemans Bay and it was a wonderful holiday. Delightful house, beautiful beaches, beautiful bush surroundings. It was full of quiet peace and tranquility with the exception of the um, people in the adjoining townhouse who had a bit of a thing for 80s rock music. But aside from that, it was very peaceful. Um, It was the ideal place, really, to rest. Yet on the way home, I'm there on my smartphone, scrolling, not Instagram for Christian memes, but uh, Airbnb, (laughs) trying to figure out when I could next get back to a nice, restful beach holiday home. I'd rested, but I was still restless inside. I was wanting more. It didn't satisfy me. And so our need for rest will never really be satisfied in places or things alone, will it? Do you know, um, some people just never seem to be able to stop, do they? Do you know people like that? Just can't. Stop, they're always on the go, doing stuff. Or maybe you're one of those people, I I don't know. (laughs) But but, but some people are from from work to event to social activity to mini holiday and and there's just such a hectic, frantic pace to their life. And I, I can't imagine how their life is ever satisfying at a soul level. Our souls must first be freed and founded and fixed on Jesus. And so Jesus tells us to come to him for the rest we need. Come to him for the rest we need. And so he tells busy and burdened people, people like you, people like me, that they will only find rest when they come to him first. And this, 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 is a, this is a plea from Jesus. This is a command from Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's quite a passionate call to action. This come to me is, is not Jesus kind of giving us this passive um, sort of optional, well, you know, you might like to try this if you want. 
um, you know, have you thought about coming to me? It might help you a little bit, maybe. I mean, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. There, there's authority in his command. He is telling us, come to me. It's a command that's arising out of his love for people, his love for you. His compassion for those who are tired and burdened and overwhelmed. He's saying, come to me. Come and get what you need most. You know, when uh, kids are young, I don't know if you remember this or, or know this, but they, um, they often object to bedtime, don't they? And they suddenly have lots of issues and problems that they think need solving at bedtime. And you as the parent know that their real need is for rest. And the most loving thing you can do is to not try and deal with all their whims and wants as legitimate as they make them sound. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm not tired, I'm scared. Um, You know that the best thing you can do for those kids is to command them to go to bed. Sleep. You need rest. I mean, all parents, we've been there, right? And so this is a loving command from Jesus to people and to us to, to stop complaining about how tired you are, how worn out you are and how unfulfilled in life you are. Stop searching for something new or something better. Stop trying to solve your own problems and issues yourself and just come to me. Get some rest. If we look at the context of this this little passage, there's there's a real tone of frustration, I think, here in Jesus' command, come to me. Um, You know, there's, there's just such a stubborn resistance in people to give up control over their life and come to him. People will do all manner of things to try and live the good life, won't they? All manner of things. As long as they feel in control. But they refuse to follow the real way to life that God lays out for them. And so if we look at the context of um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, if you just go back a few chapters in your, in your Bible or scroll back a bit on your phone if you happen to have it out, and if you go back to verse 16, Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. And um, it's a bit of a, a funny little parable thing, but basically we've got children at play. The picture he's painting for us is children at play. And one group of children is trying to get the other group of kids to have fun and to join in this joyful dance. And so they play a, a happy tune on their instruments. These other kids, they refuse to join in. And so the, the first group says, oh, well, okay, well, you, d- you don't want to dance to this joyful uh, song, then, then how about we play you a sad song? But this other group won't join in with a sad song either. They, they refuse that too. They've made up their mind. They won't join in whatever song is played. I wonder if worship leaders ever feel a bit like that. <laughs> we won't ask. And... Um, And so Jesus then goes on to to liken this this little picture analogy here to the religious culture of the day. 
People who on one hand refuse to accept the ministry of John the Baptist, they're like, yeah, that guy, he's too weird, too religious, too conservative. I'm tempted to make a joke there and say he was too Baptist, but I won't do that. Um, Versus, you know, um, uh, Jesus, who is not conservative enough, you know, Jesus, he's too liberal. He's eating sinners. He's drinking wine. He can't be from God either. And and so there's this stubborn resistance for them to to enter into God's plans. And they they shut God out of their worldview because their hearts are hard and closed and they're unrepentant. And so if preaching and teaching is not enough to convince people about their need for Jesus and the rest that he offers, then what about miracles of power? Will that convince people? about Jesus. Surely that will, right? Nope. If you read in verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. So the problem we have here is that some people just won't give their lives to Jesus, even if the best evidence, the best signs, the best miracles in the world is presented to them because their hearts are closed. Their hearts are hard. They refuse to come to him and have rest. And, and, and while I'm tempted to sort of say, well, you know, that's the religious leaders and, you know, that's those people out there. Like, here I'm in church. I'm not closed and hard-hearted to God, am I? But I, I, I do ask myself, well, in what way do I do this? Like, I, do I close myself off to his teaching? Do I stubbornly refuse to prioritise Jesus in my life and actually get real rest with him? I mean, he's spoken his, his word into my life. He's shown me evidence and signs of his, his love and power. And I mean, my goodness, what greater sign could we have than Easter? But like, do I rush about like the rest of the world in this sort of restless haste? Am I driven? Am I anxious? Am I distracted? Am I busy? Am I ignoring his voice in my life? Do you do that? And so it's in this this context, it's in this cultural uh, space that Jesus gives us this emotive, this passionate, frustrated plea and command and he, he gave it to those people then and he's giving it to us today. Come to me. Just come to me all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Will you come to him? Will you lay your burdens and your, your, your busyness at the cross this Easter? Maybe you want to do that, but maybe somehow you just find it hard. You know, why is it that we can lay them down one day, resolve to just leaving it all quietly to God, and, and then the next day we're often racing again, aren't we? Striving, anxious, busy, and burdened. Well, I think what we need is a revelation that is found in the second part of this passage, which is all about taking up the yoke of Jesus. And so that's, that's part two next week. All right. Let me finish... Uh, with this story. Um, Ollie Landon, he's a British man and social media influencer, underwent dozens and dozens of plastic surgeries 
uh, once he had 11 procedures in one day. Uh, he, he was trying to feel better about himself by changing his appearance to look Korean and to look female. And he, was, he says he was trying to satisfy an inner angst and restlessness. And he said he would feel better temporarily, but then he would be looking for more, looking to find the next fix. And he says this, and I quote, looking back, I think I was searching for my identity and I was struggling to find it. The reason I underwent those crazy transformations and then started identifying as non-binary was because I didn't know who I was. But one day I realised I can't keep doing this to myself. I'm going to end up dying or my face is going to collapse. I can't keep putting myself at risk. I'm never going to stop this addiction unless I do something drastic. What was the drastic thing that he did? Well, he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. And in Jesus, he has found rest from that restlessness and confidence to be who God made him to be. <laughs> you know, and he's, uh, he started reading the Bible and he wants to get baptised and he tells people about Jesus and he's, he's releasing a book called Detransition, a memoir. So, so there's, there's a real transformation that takes place when we genuinely come to Jesus. He truly does promise to take away your restlessness and to replace it with his rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for that, that truth that, that you uh, bring into our hearts uh, a peace and a rest that we can never obtain on our own. We thank you that you have worked and you have earned and you have done everything needed for, for, for us to come into uh, eternal life, for us to receive new life with you. And so I thank you that we can rest secure in that. I thank you that we can be confident in your rest. I thank you that we can trust in your rock-solid rest. So I just pray that you would make that real to us, not just now, not just at Easter, but every day. Just pray that you would, um, yeah, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just come and reveal the truth of your word. Just unlock, unlock any hardness of heart right now, I pray in Jesus' name. May there be a softening, a receiving, a repenting in Jesus' name as we come to you, weary and burdened, lay our burdens down as we come to you and receive rest. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to take a, a, a few moments now to um, have communion. I want you to reflect on, on the message, on who Jesus is and, and what he offers you. And Steve's going to just play a song for us. I think we'll have the words up, but you know, more for you to reflect on than necessarily sing. Yeah, thanks, Jan. So just um, take the elements, the, the juice and the, the wafer, representing the body and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for you. I just invite you just in your own time, as you feel ready, just open the little container 
and to eat and drink, coming to him, placing your trust and faith in the rest that he offers you this Easter.